Good morning. Let's turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I teach full time, and um, one rule we have in the school is no cell phones. And it's not my rule, I didn't make it up, but I understand why they have it. I forgot mine, by the way, so not good. Um, in my line of work, the, the internet is a tool, very efficient and effective tool if you use it correctly. The reason why we don't allow phones in school is because there's abuse and they're not always using, the students aren't always using the cell phones for, uh, as a tool. They get distracted with their emails and Facebook and who knows what else. And so we say, no cell phones in school. And so I like, appreciate Howard showing us technology today because um, there's some real effective and powerful concordances electronically that you can find things rather quickly. So I trust nobody's going to be on Facebook this morning. <laughs> it can be distracting, you know. And I, and I know at times it's a temptation. I see some young people playing video games sometimes or checking email, not just older people, you know. We can be distracted too. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, I think it'll come out in one of the verses. Okay. So I hope I have everybody's attention this morning. <laughs> James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 17 and read to 27. Um, I'm going to read from the New American Standard while you read from the, I'm sure, New King James or whatever version you have. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will... He brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls." But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. And if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. May the Lord bless not only the reading, but the doing of his word to us this morning. Every good thing bestowed. What would you say is maybe the general theme of this uh, portion of Scripture? It seems like there's some fragmentation there, but really I believe it's talking about the Word of God or the Word of truth. So that's why I started in verse uh, 17. I think it has something to do with it. And even if we go before that, we'll read before that in a bit. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Seems like somebody's making an argument against a statement that was made by someone maybe in the, uh, 
group of people the letter was written to. It says back in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Why is it written if it wasn't some accusation made by someone? But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. God is a good God. Nothing but good proceeds from God. Do you believe that this morning? Do you think that's a popular belief out in the world today? For in one way, shape, or form, people accuse God not being good. And sometimes we Christians can cast that into doubt in our own hearts. When we suffer trials, and we wonder, why am I going through this? Do we really trust God that it's best for us, that he has good in store for us as us going through it? Or do we wonder, do we doubt God's goodness? Every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Father of lights reminds me of the creation of the whole universe. I see the stars at night and I think of the Father of lights. No variation or shifting shadow. Pure. No shade of gray. No ulterior motives in the heart of God. No selfish thought. He's not in it for himself. It's all for our good. If you were to think of someone that could run this world, who would you pick? God has shown by every way, shape, and form that he really is interested in our good and our best. And, but do we trust him? When he sees something in our life that he wants to weed out, do we trust him that it's for our good that he weeds it out? Or are we bitter? Do we have objections? Do we somehow twist the word to mean something that it doesn't mean? He's not in it for his good. He's in it for our good. Not for his uh, benefit, but for ours. And the best example we have of God's goodness is the cross at Calvary. Our salvation, his offer of eternal life is a free gift. That's the best example we have of the goodness of God. It says, by his word, the Lord made the heavens by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. It says that in Psalm 33. The word, through his word he created and we see in verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. How, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're saved this morning, how did you come to know him? It was through his word. It's through the power of his word. It was through the effectual working of his word in your heart. It's the same word, the word of God. And we're going to see that through here, the argumentation for the word of God. And so what we're going to ask this morning, and I hope you ask this of yourself, how important is this in your life? What place does it take in your life? The Word of God, whether it's on paper, whether it's electronic, it's the very Word of God. How important is it to you? Do you know that you show by your life how important it is? Do you show by how you live what you think of the Word of God? It says, by the Word of God, He created the heavens and the earth, the Father of lights. It's by the Word of God that if you know Him, you have your salvation. It was not without the Word of God. So if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're certain that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven, receive a glorified body, be with him for all eternity in a place of pure pleasure and joy, 
You owe it to the Word of God. You heard about it through the Word of God. Or someone that was quoting the Word of God, who had that very work of the Word of God in his life, in his heart. The same Word of God that brought everything into existence gave you new life, if you know Him. And so the Word of God is precious. Very precious. But what place does it take in your life? And that's what we're going uh, to think about as we go through this passage, because I believe that's what the passage is talking about. And we're going to see the context of that as we go. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth. He's talking about when He says brought us forth. Isn't it interesting that He uses that term, brought us forth? <laughs> You're not special to me because I'm going to have a grandson. <laughs> He's going to be brought forth. It's talking about it's the term is the birthing process. You know, it's used earth, earlier of sin, Right? When sin is brought forth, I mean, the result is death. But with God, not so. It's eternal life. And it was done through the exercise of his will, a conscious decision on his part. He is the one who made it happen because he chose. He made a choice. If you know him, he chose you. He loves you, and he has good for you. He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. We're not the only ones. You know, it's talking about the dispersion here in this letter of, from James. And, and think of how many people have come to know the Lord, received eternal life, forgiveness of their sins since that day. We have that idea of first fruits in the Old Testament. When there was a harvest, they would bring in the beginning of the harvest and dedicate that to God, concentrate to that, that to God, recognizing that it comes from God, it's of God, it really belongs to God, but with the hope of the full and future harvest. We're part of that harvest. We're part of that harvest. And there's more to come. He, it, it really the word in the exercise of his will, literally it's talking about he having made a decision. He made a decision. And it wasn't, it, the source of that decision, the way it's written, wasn't necessarily his emotions. Not that he doesn't have emotions, but it was a volish, uh, an act of his will. He brought us forth. Had nothing to do with our merit. It wasn't forced or obligated. Some people think God's obligated to forgive because that's his job. He's not obligated to forgive. And you have to ask yourself this question. What do you think about this question? If God were to send me to hell, would he be perfectly just and right? And would I have no excuse or claim against him for having done that? I believe that to be true. I believe that I'm not going to hell, not because I don't deserve it, but strictly by his mercy. And should he have decided to send me to hell, I wouldn't have an excuse. I wouldn't have an argument. He'd be right. He wouldn't be wrong. And I couldn't accuse him of being merciless either. Because the guilty has no demands on mercy. It's a request, not a demand, when it comes to the guilty. Bill McDonald puts it like this. His love to us was unmerited, unbought, and unsought. Isn't that good? Unmerited, we didn't deserve it. Unbought, we didn't pay for it. And, you know, I think, I think God's insulted when somebody approaches him with, but I did this, and but I did that, and but I wasn't as bad as this, and I wasn't as... I think God's insulted by that. Because that's saying some, somehow we have merit before God. However so small is an insult to God. We had zero merit. Unmerited, unbought. There's nothing we could do. God can't be bought. How can you buy off someone that owns everything? And unsought. We really didn't seek it. 
you, you might entertain the possibility or the, uh, you might entertain the thought that you were seeking after God. It was really God seeking you and luring yourself to Him by His love, wakening in you a desire for Him, bringing people along the paths to say the right things to spark that interest. It was God doing it. Not without your will, not without your desire, but Him having that desire. It originated with Him. Not, not without the Word of truth, not without the Word of God. That's how important the Word of God is. That we might be, as it were, first fruits among His creatures. It's going to talk about salvation there, and we need to remember that in this um, passage, it, salvation really has three tenses, doesn't it? Salvation, we talk about past tense. That's justification. For those of you that know the Lord Jesus Christ, there was a point in time that you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you accepted what He did on the cross for you, that your sins were forgiven, and that He placed the Holy Spirit to abide or live in your heart. That was when you were justified before God. And if God justifies, who can condemn, right? And the justification was based on Christ's shed blood on the cross, His perfect work. So that's justification. But salvation in the present tense, how am I saved in the present tense? There's a process of sanctification that goes on in the life of the Christian. As a Christian grows and matures and learns more about the Word of God, he's called to a life of sanctification. And as he sees victory or she sees victory in their life, they become, they walk down the road of sanctification. One day, and I'm looking forward to it, when I'll be rid of this sinful nature forever, we'll see salvation in its future tense, and that's glorification. That's where we'll be glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. Rid of this sinful nature. Won't that be a, a happy day? And so we see, as it talks about, um, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be, as it were, first fruits. It's talking about, um, it's talking about justification. It's talking to those who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And further down in the text, it's going to talk about sanctification. Which brings into question... You may know the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning. You may be one of those. You may be one of those who has not been justified. You haven't come to the place in your life where you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But if you have, the question is, where are you in your spiritual life right now? You know, and, and people are at different places in their spiritual life. There's newborn babes in Christ. There's those that are one-year-old in Christ, two-years-old in Christ, 20, 30 years in Christ. How old are you in Christ, Howard? 35 years. Okay, so we have various years of maturity. Now, there can be someone that has 20 years of Christ or more, like myself, that has maybe the maturity of a five-year-old. You know? And we don't like to say it, but when we were little and we were cruel children, we call that retarded. That's because my growth is retarded of what it should be. I should have the spiritual maturity of a 25-year-old in Christ. Not of a five-year-old. And so if I have a maturity level of someone less than my age would dictate, I have to ask myself, why? Why is it that I'm not as mature as I should be? Why is it when I suffer trials and temptations, I don't have victories as I should? And we're going to find out. This, verse, this, this passage tells us. It says in verse 19, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now that verse, what does it mean? What does it mean? Now, it has lots of application, doesn't it? I mean, the, the wise of the world would recognize the wisdom here. You know, be quick to hear. I mean, God gave us two ears and one mouth. That should be an idea, right? 
we should listen at least twice as much as we speak. And I'm not claiming that I have this under control. People that know me know that I don't. But that doesn't stop me from seeing what the Word says and aspiring to do what the Word says. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I have something I want to read to you, and you'll have to excuse me for reading, but it's, some things are so good I feel I have to read them. Okay? And, and it talks about placing this verse in context of the whole passage to get the idea of what James is saying. Now, we can apply it in lots of ways, but its interpretation be, should be subject to context, right? At first glance, James 1, 19 and 20 appears to be a series of isolated exhortations and in Scripture memory exercises. That is how these verses are often interpreted. However, quote these passages in isolation is to yank them from their context. The context of James 1, 19 and 20 includes the previous passage. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Let every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. That's James 1, 16 18. James is clearly describing persons who have listened to or heard and received the word of truth and have been born again and become, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. Observe also that James 1.21 is again referring to the word of God and what must be done in order to receive it. Finally, in James 1.21, 23, 24, and 25, teaches that the hearer of the word must do or teaches what the hearer of the word must do with the word, once received in order to it, for it to be effect, an effective agent of transmission in one's life. Notice that when the verses precede, notice then that the verses preceding and following James, the verses we're talking about, refer to the word of God, the word of truth. Therefore, it is only reasonable to interpret these verses as referring to one's reaction, attitude, and attitude toward the word of God. Thus, in order to maximize one's reception of the word, one needs to listen be quick to hear and restrain from speaking. It's very difficult to hear God speaking if we are speaking and to refrain from anger. So in context, the whole passage is talking about the Word of God. It's talking about what's your reaction to the Word of God. Maybe you've talked to people about the Word of God. What's their reaction? It says we should be quick to hear. There's six times mentioned in the New Testament where the Lord Jesus Christ said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's thought-provoking. It makes you go back and say, what did he say? What was he meaning? And that's how we should approach the Word of God, with reverence and with ears that want to hear. Quick to hear, slow to speak. You know, sometimes, I mean, I've been told by a math teacher one time, that people generally approach at least math problems. Sometimes it's, life, it's, sometimes it's true in life. Problems one of two ways, and I think I've mentioned this before. person that has a problem, a math problem, sizes it up, comes to a quick conclusion, and bam. Real quick thinker, he's fast, and he gets it right maybe eight times out of ten. And then there's the person that looks at the problem, thinks about it, walks around another angle, looks about it, thinks about it, looks at it, thinks about it. Hits it from another angle, third angle, looks at it, thinks about it. Then he's thinking, and the guy that's already got the answer is going, come on. And finally he comes up with the answer, and he's right like 95% of the time. <laughs> he takes this to why? Because he's, he's not being quick to speak. Being quick to hear. Quick to contemplate the problem. Slow to speak, and when he does. doesn't say don't speak, does it? 
It says, slow to speak. So when we, and that's what sort of comes into play when it comes to, you know, looking at our cell phones. Are we hearing? You know, are we being quick to hear when we're distracted and looking at our email? You know, sometimes somebody will bring something up. You know, this is what I love. The, the Word of God has to, in the life of a Christian, has to have the, be the ultimate, ultimate and utmost authority in their life. Has to be. Can't be tradition. Can't be what our fathers did. Can't be what happened before. It has to be what the Word of God says. Guided by the Spirit of God. So if someone brings something up in your life with the Word of God, the question is, are you going to be quick to hear? Slow to speak. Slow to anger. I've had people get angry at me before for showing them what the Word of God says. It's not a comfortable experience. That's what the Word of God... This reaction to the Word of God. You go out in downtown San Francisco and you preach the, God, the Word of God faithfully, you're going to have people very angry at you. That's the world's reaction. But, you know, sometimes you get Christians angry at you. Because there's areas in our lives that God wants to change. He wants to make us more Christ-like. He wants to make us more happy. He wants to make us more efficient and effective in living the life that He has for us. And the only way He could do that is if we listen to Him. And we don't say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. You know, we're slow to speak, quick to hear, you know. And, and that reminds me, I need to, when somebody asks me a question or says, I need to stop and listen. And, you know, I have to confess that I'm learning something. People aren't always communicating what seems apparent on the surface. Does that make sense? And I'm learning that. It's taken a long time. Some people have thick noggins. They don't always mean what seems apparent on the surface. And sometimes it takes a listening and a longer listen. And when we do speak, maybe it's going to be a question. Like, is this what you mean? And if somebody thinks there's something in our life, we should love our brothers and sisters to the point that they feel the freedom to ask the question, to bring it up. The scripture says this. I'm just wondering, what, how do you take that? Because it seems like you don't understand that passage. <laughs> Slow to anger. Let's talk about our reaction to the Word of God. Let's move on, because there's, I want to add to that, and there's more to add, but I think it comes up in the past. I don't want to get ahead of myself. It doesn't say, it says slow to anger, doesn't it? Does it say don't get angry? There is a righteous anger, you know. Warren Wiersbe said, right, he writes, I once saw a poster that said, temper is such a valuable thing. It's a shame to lose it. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? But he points something out. It is temper that helps to give steel its strength. The person who cannot get angry at sin doesn't have much strength to fight it. It's true, isn't it? Angry at sin. James warns us against getting angry at God's word because it reveals us, our sins to us. Like the man who broke the mirror because he disliked the image in it. People rebel against God's word because it tells the truth about them and their sinfulness. We shouldn't get mad at God's word. We should get mad at sin. MacArthur makes a good point about the dangers of the type of people mentioned here, noting that it is therefore an anger that only the Lord and the believer know about. That anger against sin, you know. Sin in my life. <laughs> Therefore, it is a special danger in that it can be privately harbored 
That's if I get angry at someone else's sin, right? James' emphasis here seems to be on those who hear the truth and resent its exposing their personal false ideas or ungodly lifestyles. Throughout the history of the church, in fact, throughout the history of fallen mankind, even believers have resented God's truth and the messenger who brought it. There is, of course, a just and holy indignation against sin, Satan, and anything that dishonors the Lord or assaults His glory. There are things we should be angry about. But it shouldn't be God's word pointing out sin in our lives. It shouldn't be God trying to tell us that we need to change. And I have to confess to you, uh, I'll be transparent, I have been plenty angry before with myself. I mean, angry with myself. And sometimes not over the right things, you know. You go to, you know, it talks about, we're going to talk about mirrors a little bit later on. I'll, I'll, I'll save it for them. Let's move on. It says, um, the anger of man doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. You know, I, I talk, sometimes we, we talk to people and we get in conversations. I got a conversation with this guy that came into Weld the week before I left. And I had to get out of that conversation real quick. We talk, we, you know, I talked about how we were missionaries in Brazil for nine years. And we were talking about God. And um, he, he said, yeah, he goes to church. You know, I asked him if he was right with God. He said, yeah. You know, he obeys the commandments. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength? He goes, yeah, I think I do. I go, are you kidding me? He goes, no, I, I do. I said, really? I said, let me ask you this. You watch TV? He goes, yeah, I watch TV. I go, very often? He goes, just about every day, a little bit. Oh, that's good. You read your Bible? Well, I've read some. I said, do you read it every day? Well, no. I said, so you like the TV more than the Word of God? Well, so you really, you really love the Lord your God with all your heart? Well, yeah, I think I do. Oh, man, and we went, I, I you know, pointed out a couple other things, you know. And he couldn't just see it right in front of his face. And that's what it's going to talk about. We're going to see the penalty of those that are hearers and not doers. He couldn't see it. He thought he was obeying the Ten Commandments, loving the Lord, his God, with all his heart, soul, and strength. You know what? I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for, I don't know, 20 years, 1981, however, do the math. And I can't say that. I can't say I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength. Because I know if I did, I'd be living my life a whole different, a lot different. I aspire to that. I want to. But I have to confess to you this morning, sometimes I don't want to. That's the truth. If I wanted to, I'd do it. I'd be living a lot different. That's, that's honesty and transparency. And that's a sin of mine. And that's what God's working on. So he can get angry all he wants. He's not going to be righteous before God. Only Jesus Christ can make a man righteous before God. It says, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. And humility, receiving the word of God implanted, which is able to save your souls. It says, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Do you know who he's talking to here? It's talking to believers. It's talking to those that are the first fruits. It's talking to you, and it's talking to me. Now, how do you respond and react to that? Remember, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Do you realize that when God saved us, you that know the Lord Jesus Christ, He gave you a new nature, and that new nature is holy in His sight. When he looks at that whole new nature of yours, when he looks at you, he sees the Lord Jesus Christ in all his holiness and all his righteousness and all his sanctification. But he left the sinful nature there for us to struggle with. 
He's given us the power over it, but it's still there whispering in your ear. And it still has things in your life that he wants to take out. It's called baggage. Let's call it baggage. That's a term we understand. What kind of baggage are you bringing or did you bring into your Christian life if you know the Lord Jesus Christ? The big stuff's easy. Yeah, I stopped swearing. I stopped smoking. I stopped drinking. All that stuff's easy. But the selfishness, the jealousies, the laziness, all those other ones. (laughs) That's what it's talking about here. Put it aside. When God points at something in your life, don't come up with excuses. He's asking you to put that aside. Cast it aside. And, you know, (laughs) it says putting something aside. He's not talking about, you know, going over here, putting it in there, locking the cabinet. Okay, it's aside now. He's not talking about putting it somewhere you can get it. Casting aside, throwing it away. I can remember when I first got saved, I was, I was baptized in a Catholic church like six months before I got saved. Then I got saved. And I had a little medal medallion that was St. Christopher's medal in gold that was given to me. And, and, you know, you might find issue with this, but I wanted to get rid of it. And I didn't want to sell it. I didn't want to give it to somebody. I just pounded it into, like pulverized it and threw it in the creek. You know, I wanted to put it where I couldn't get it back. Gold's valuable, right? You can think, well, I can melt that down and sell it or just sell it the way it is, right? I didn't want that. I wanted that to be indicative of my life. I want to mean business for God. Anything, Lord, you put your finger on in my life, you want me to get rid of, it's gone, or I can't put my hands on it again. That was 20, I don't know how many years, do the math. Did you do it? That? <laughs> Pardon? Thank you. 33 years ago I said that. In my beginning of my Christian life, that's what it was like. But, you know, I have to look at my Christian life now. How's it going now? How's, how am I going to respond now when the Lord puts something on, his finger on something in my life? You know, am I going to respond the same way? That's what he's called. That's what he's expecting of me. You want to grow. You want to mature. You want to experience the joy and the excitement of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ in a deeper way. That's what he expects. Cast it aside. Put it aside. All filthiness. And, and you know, we use that word filthiness. We, we dig up the dregs of society, and that's what we think of. But, you know, in the sight of God, anything that we have that he doesn't want us to have, that's filth. It's stained clothes. It's something you'd want to throw away. Yeah. In humility, receive the word implanted. It's like implanted. You know, he, the, the parable of the sower. You know, the seed of the word of God. That's the illustration we have in scripture. What is it about a seed that makes it so special? You know, I got some little seeds here. You know, I was looking at them, and I got them out of the garage. Sandra probably knows what they are, because I don't. And they're, but they're little seeds, you know, and if you were to look at them, they, it's hard to tell them between this and kitty litter, you know? So <laughs> You know, and you know, you take a little seed, and I don't care, the, micro, the, the best microscope in the world, is not, he's going to miss something in here. The chemist could take it apart, distill it, you know, melt it down, and try to analyze it, and there's, there's one thing that he's never going to find in here. You know what it is? That's right, thank you, Sam. Life. He's not going to see life. God's put life in one of these seeds. One of these little seeds got life in it. Every one of them's got life in it, right? You can't find it with the eye. Science isn't going to show it to you. It's from God, right? That's the word of God. If you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you have that life in you. And this seed was meant to be placed in an environment where it could grow and fulfill 
God's purpose for it, which is to grow and provide fruit, more seeds for more plants. It has to be in a receptive environment. It's not going to do it in you know, the Mojave Desert. Same thing with the Word of God. The parable of the source teaches us that. It has to go to a heart that's the right soil. And, and that's true of, of salvation, but it's also true of spiritual growth. When the Word of God hits your heart, it's like a seed. God wants it to germinate and bring forth fruit in your life. But it's only if you respond in the right way, if it lands in the right soil. It's implanted, and it's able to save your soul. And this is, called, this is talking about sanctification, the salvation of sanctification. It needs to, to be nurtured. And then we get into the verses that are special. To me, anyway, prove yourselves doer of the word, doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. See, that's interesting. I've never thought about that. That's the penalty for those that are hearers and not doers. They delude themselves. They're mistaken. And they're convinced they're right. You know? The person that doesn't practice the word of God or do the word of God but just merely hears, they know the right answers. Oh, everything's wonderful. You know, this spiritual thing's happening, that spiritual thing happening, and you're looking at every indication in the person of the spiritual life that things are falling apart, but they think things are great. They delude themselves. You can put on the trappings of spirituality. You can hear the word. I have a quiet time. Every morning I read my Bible. Does that mean I'm spiritual? Does that mean I'm growing? Does that mean I'm maturing? That just means I'm a hearer. And I'll tell you who has spiritual power in their lives. It's not the guy that has 33 years in Christ. It's the baby in Christ, one year old, that every word they hear they're doing. There's where power lies. There's where spirituality lies. And we that have traveled the path for so long, we can lose that. Lose that truth, lose that practice, and we come, become stagnant, stale, and a real bad example for those young people that really want to grow for Christ. We have to watch out for that. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looked at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. A mirror. I love, don't you love illustrations in Scripture? So I brought a mirror. I brought a mirror to show you. Well, actually, I didn't bring a mirror to show you. I brought a mirror to show you yourselves. <laughs> I work with mirrors, so they're near and dear to my heart. Um, they can really brighten up a room. Okay, you've got to be my aim here. <laughs> um, I'll be a little transparent here. Why I was so mad about myself. Sometimes you're mad at yourself, not for spiritual reasons, but excuse me. I went to, um, you know, you go to a gym, and gym, sometimes there are a wall of mirrors, right? And if it falls, it's okay. And, and, and they're floor to ceiling. Why do you think they put mirrors in gyms? 
Well, there's two reasons usually people think of. Oh, people are vain and they want to see themselves. Or another word for mirror starts with an M. It's called motivation. <laughs> motivation, right? So I've said this probably last time I was up here, but I have never been so out of shape in my life. I think I've, gained, I, I've weighed the most. I think about a week ago, I weighed more than I ever weighed. You know, me and my wife, when we first got married, we used to do the special K pinch. If it's more than an inch, it's too much. Remember that? It was a commercial way back when. So I got mad at myself. And when I get mad at myself, I really get serious. I stopped eating for three days altogether, you know? <laughs> Went to the work gym every day, you know? And I, every, instead of going to dinner, I was going running. You know, I must have ran 10 miles a day. Oh, no, walking. I ran, walked about 10 miles a day in the gym at like your time, it would be midnight, my time, three in the morning, you know? And I'm just, I'm a person, that's how mad I was at myself. Mad. I was mad, you know. I had accumulated too much fat. And so I wanted to do something about it. I started thinking about our spiritual lives. You know what fat is? Fat is when you have too much intake and not enough output. And when I say output, what I mean is exercise. I mean, you're actually working, right? So you exercise, you can eat. You eat without exercise, and it turns to fat. And I started thinking about my spiritual life. How fat am I? Hearing the word of God is intake. Hearing, hearing, hearing. Doing is exercising, exercise. God made us vessels for him to pour in and to use us to pour into other people. Right? So how fat are you, spiritually speaking? <laughs> how fat am I? I'm more fat than I've ever been, which means a lot of intake, not a lot of output. What am I doing with the Word of God? Be doers of the Word of God. Look in the mirror. It should be a motivation. Spiritual mirror. You know? I have a mirror at my desk at work. It's, it's, this is quarter-inch commercial. And I have one that's eighth-inch. DSB, double strength. And I can polish the edges so smooth that it looks just like the surface. I take it down to cork. So I take it down to successive grits with wet sand, and then I take it to cork. And it looks gorgeous. And I put a pencil polish on it. And it looks so nice that when you set it on a table, when it's nice and clean, it looks like a pool of water. People walk up, oh, you spilled water. No, it's a mirror. And they admire the edge work. That's what we call it, edge work. The mirror wasn't meant to sit on a table to admire. Some people, for some people, that's the word of God. Oh, yeah, I read the word of God. We have it in our home. It's on the table. We admire it. We look at it. That's not the purpose for the Word of God. Just like that wasn't the purpose for a mirror. It looked like a puddle of water. You know? We can admire it. We can study it. We can talk about it. But until we put it into practice for its intended purpose, we're not using it the way we should. Right? Mirror. How are you doing in your spiritual life? You know, it's interesting about a mirror. Why do we have mirrors? Pardon? For reflection. For reflection. Well, in, in layman's terms, what does that mean? To look at ourselves. I, we can, I mean, that doesn't sound good, but it really is. It's to see things we can't see without it. Right? I can't see my face without it. I don't know how I look. Somebody says, your nose is all crooked. I'm going to say, really? <laughs> I can't see it. Then I'm going to say, you're right. It is. is to look at things we can't see. 
There are things in our lives that we can't see. You can't see them. God sees them. And if you're attentive, slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger, and ask God to show you those, He will. But sometimes, you know what He uses? Of course, He uses His Word, but He uses other people that know His Word as well. So that they can, learn. let me show you something you don't see. Then how are you going to respond? Ooh, get mad. But, 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 but. Excuse? Oh, wow, I never saw that before. Nobody's ever told me that before. Well, maybe it's because they were afraid how you respond, how you would respond. You know? Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual. This man shall be blessed. You know, I've heard used people, that, that, you know, it sort of bothers me. That word is so abused today. Oh, I was blessed. What does that mean? You know, some people can call um, consequences of sin a blessing. Well, God can turn anything into a blessing, but that's not my first reaction. Blessed. Do you want to be blessed by God? God tells you, this is how I will bless you. Be doers of the word. Be hearers of the word and doers of the word. And you'll be like that person who looks at themselves in the mirror and, and says, Lord, I see it. Help me get rid of it. I just want to um, close in reading this because it really puts a, um, a final caption on our, on our passage here. It says, faith tested by its response to the word of God. Since God's word is the means of regeneration... A right response to the word is appropriately presented as the initial test of vital faith. In other words, what it's saying is, listen, God presents his word to you. One, you're a sinner. Two, he's holy. Three, because he's holy and you're a sinner, there's a judgment. That means you and I both deserve to go to hell. What's the response to that? Oh, I don't believe that. Well, well I'm not that bad. You know, well, look at everybody else. That's not the proper response. Our response is vital to whether we're gonna, if we're going to be saved or not. We accept that. Okay, if that's your appraisal, Lord, then what do I do? I'm lost. The Lord Jesus Christ came down to heaven to die in our place on the cross to pay our penalty in full, and He offers salvation as a free gift. Wow. Our reception to that message is going to determine where we spend eternity, where you spend eternity, and how happy you are going to be for the rest of this life. And for the Christian, as he puts his finger on things in our lives, our response to that is going to determine our spiritual growth, our happiness, our effectiveness, and how fulfilled we are in this life doing what he has planned for us to do. So what do you want? What person do you want to be? I know what person I want to be. And I get mad at myself when I settle for less. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word, how precious it is. We know that without your word, we would not be saved. Lord, and there's people here that don't know you, that haven't received your word. We do pray that you touch their heart with the truth of your word and there would be a proper response of humility, of receiving your word and acting on it. And Lord, us who have received the Lord Jesus Christ, who perhaps have laid aside the uh, goal and uh, effort at sanctification, we pray that you'd help us to 
get off the diamond, get busy doing, be being doers of your word and not just hearers, Lord. That we might lose this spiritual fatness and become um, in shape spiritually. That you might be pleased with us and that we might really experience, Lord, that your word is not a bunch of rules. It's not the, the law, but a law of liberty, a law of freedom, a law of joy. Lord, we pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.